Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, November 14th, 2021. The share ID numbers for Friday, November 12th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 18,072. That's one eight zero seven two, And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 18,074. That's one eight zero seven four. This morning, A Vision for You presents Relapse is Not Required. All of us have come to this program as a result of the pain, despair, frustration, and hopelessness we experienced in our disease of compulsive overeating. Many of us, even within the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, continue to experience the constant defeat, frustration, and pain of compulsive overeating and its relentless progression. As promised, our disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Overeaters Anonymous stands for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of food. If the steps are not working for you, then perhaps you're not working the steps. The big book was written as a set of directions, a textbook for doing the 12 steps. The promise of the 12-step process is a personality change, a spiritual awakening to bring about recovery a spiritual awakening to overcome compulsive overeating. The 12 steps, if practiced as a way of life, can and will expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happy, joyous, and free. This morning, joining us is Ken W.H., a recovered compulsive overeater from North Carolina. Ken is dedicated to the spiritual practice and growth from the 12 steps, and he's here to share his experience, strength, and hope with us today. Good morning, Ken, and thank you. Ken, star one to unmute. Am I set now? You are, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so glad about that. Good morning, Ken, and welcome to you. (laughs) Thank you. Too many buttons to push. (laughs) I get you. I get you. I'm working my way up to low tech, personally. Thank you and welcome. Thank you, Leah. I'm so glad to be here. And thank you for asking. Excuse me. Now I laughed at myself and I swallowed (laughs) uh, some air. I'll be along shortly. Uh, Anyway, my name is Ken W.H. I am here in uh, Cary, North Carolina. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I do say recovered 
I have recovered, as the book tells me, from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And, and there's a big and here, I am recovering continuously from my current state of mind and body, which is something I have to live with. And (coughs) you have to forgive me, I don't... (coughs) I'll be clear here. Um, I continue to recover from uh, my current state of mind and body, which is uh, the ongoing process of growing in a life of faith. And for me, that's a fundamental principle, is to grow in a life of faith. What I'll be sharing today is nothing new, nothing new at all it's um you may hear it differently than you've heard it before which is fine um just as the big book has done with addiction it it rephrased uh, a malady that we as people have faced for uh, millennia addiction has been around for a long long time and <clears throat> Somehow, uh, the God of my understanding put it through Bill and others to put together a book that phrased it in a way and and put it into a way that I could embrace, I could hear and uh, respond to. And it has indeed changed my life. And um, that is some of what I'll be sharing uh, the book tells me to uh, tell you what I was like, what happened to me, and what I am like today. I'm always reminded that an early sponsor once told me it doesn't say it. <laughs> I don't need to tell you what it was like. Most of you probably know what it was like. But you don't know what I was like, and I don't know what you were like exactly. Uh, all I can do is share my story and Perhaps uh, someone can relate to that, and that would be uh, my goal, and that is my goal. And I've already prayed today, and I've asked God that all that I say today honor my God in every way. So may that be so. Uh, I am going to talk about relapse. Um, I say it's not required, but it certainly is a part of my story and a major part of my story. In fact, it was the relapses that ultimately (laughs) brought me here. Um, It just took longer than I had ever hoped it might. Um, And the why of my eating is uh, pretty clear in the big book as well, and many, many people on this line have talked about the whys. Uh, I keep it simple. I, I... I ate, and I ate compulsively because it worked. (laughs) It was a solution that um, always succeeded in making me feel more at ease, more comfortable, more peaceful. Uh, I think part of that was that I ate sugar and fat to such a degree that it was kind of a buzz all the time, a fog, 
And I kind of lived in that so that I could avoid all the other things that uh, I didn't want to deal with. And so the whys, uh, my my background and all those kind of things are uh, important to me, um, but I'm not so sure that that's what you need to hear. You need to hear <clears throat> that I ate, and I ate compulsively because I have a disease. And the disease brought about the effect that I absolutely needed, it seemed, for reasons I don't fully understand or know why. I was um, I was a pretty happy kid in a happy home, a safe home. Um, but I ate, and um, I just had trouble living with myself. And I ate early, and it was a part of the lifestyle in my home. And um, I got fat early. <laughs> and um, in fact, my brothers and I were all along those lines and uh, us teased a lot and all that sort of stuff that goes with it. And <clears throat> I can blame that teasing. I can blame that shaming uh, for my compulsive eating and Today I know that's not what it was about. Um, it, my overeating was an attempt to uh, cover those feelings I was experiencing just because I was a part of life. And um, it happens to all of us. I just didn't know at the time uh, and took for a long time, as you will hear, for me to know what was actually at the root of uh, the problem that uh, I was living in my solution, so to speak, <laughs> my solution of food, and um, and it worked for many many years, <clears throat> and even into twelve step recovery, it has worked, so to speak, for many many years. It was a solution. Um, I came into the 12-step recovery program through another program, uh, then Overeaters Anonymous, and that was a long time ago, um, almost, 30, almost 40 years ago. And interestingly, <clears throat> I uh, took to that program immediately and never relapsed in the physical sense in, in that addiction. Uh, but I need to tell you, there are other kinds of relapse. And again, they're not required, but <laughs> I certainly found my way into uh, a number of what we would call, I suppose, dry drunks. Um, I was spiritually ill. I was mentally ill. And <laughs> uh I I wasn't using my substance, but I was pretty sick puppy and not fun to be around. And uh, in a you know in a sense uh, that was the um, the mental relapse, the spiritual relapse, if you will. And I believe that is uh, just as much a part of overeating and recovery and overeating, uh, compulsive overeating, as uh, as physical. Uh, relapse. Um, so um, I come to you as uh, a traveler on the 12-step road to a happy destiny. 
um, and I'm still on that road, thank God, um, just making my way and uh, doing the best I can one day at a time uh, through the power of God. Um, Because uh, I, I remain today convinced there is a solution. That's my favorite three words in the book. It's at one of the most powerful moments in the big book. Uh, it's after describing <clears throat> the worst it can get. Uh, total hopelessness. Absolute, utter hopelessness. At the top of that page 25, it gets to that state of utter hopelessness, and then it starts the next paragraph with those italicized three words, there is a solution. One of the greatest transitions in literature <laughs> in one paragraph, from one paragraph to another, from utter hopelessness to someone saying that doesn't have to be so. There is a solution. There is a way out of this. And we're going to show you what that way is or has been for us. And the rest of the book is all about that. It's, it's basically telling me over and over and over again how others have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. For some of us, it takes longer than others. Um, I didn't become uh, super overweight, so to speak. I, I got myself up into the 230, 240 range, which was all fat, no muscle. And so it looked like all fat and no muscle. Um, you know, as, the, as a younger, <laughs> young kid in high school, you, of course, you're going to be a football player. <laughs> you're big and fat. You're going to play football. And, uh, of course, you're going to play on the line. You're not going to be in any of the glamour positions. Forget about that. And, and by the way, it's going to hurt. <laughs> And I was not into pain, physical pain, in those days. So I didn't last very long in football, in spite of my bigness and and uh, uh, what everyone deemed to be my my assets for football. Um, now I was fat. I was just fat. That's that's the plain fact of it. And um, I was certainly constantly in a state of being. Oh, uh, 70 to 80 pounds overweight for most of my life. And um, uh, that's no fun, I can tell you. And for those of you who have been there, you know that. Um, but there's a solution. And, and I've come to that solution through the 12 steps. As I said, I've been around the other program almost 40 years. And uh, I now have a year and four months <laughs> in recovery from compulsive eating. Now, uh, if you do the math, um, what in the world was going on for the, for those 37 or 38 and a half years <clears throat> that you couldn't see the food issues? Well, I did address them. I addressed those issues at different times, uh, and I found unique and exciting ways to, <laughs> to try to take care of my food. I guess the, the one of the, the great uh, efforts I had was um, I, I, I was at my highest weight when I got married and um, and the first thing uh, that happened is um, my wife suggested that I might be lose some weight <laughs> what a concept 
And so I did uh, by changing from, I stopped drinking beer. And I started drinking, uh, I found my <laughs> my other love of my life, I found hard liquor. And um, But that worked. I lost about 30 pounds in a short period of time. I don't know how because I ate like a crazy man. But that suggests how much beer I was drinking, tremendous number of calories. Um, but the food helped me through that. I turned immediately to the food. And I found that in the other fellowship, they tend to eat as well. They're not particularly as aware of food addiction. And um, so there was lots to eat and lots of stuff I didn't need to eat. In other words, uh, a lot of foods that fed my addiction. And the bottom line became um, really why I just kept eating all those years is I never fully grasped what it meant to have the disease of compulsive overeating or exactly what the nature of that disease is. For some reason, it was easy or not, I won't say easy, but it was, there was a finality for me to putting a plug in a jug or stopping doing a particular behavior. With food, there, there's, there's no jug to put the plug in, so to speak so to speak. At least that's the way I lived or believed for many, many years. And unfortunately, frankly, <clears throat> that's the message I heard uh, from OA when I first uh, tried to get into this. And for many years afterwards, it, it, I got a lot of information about overeating, but I didn't get or didn't hear uh, clearly um, that I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, um, <clears throat> and that uh, that there there is a way to understand putting a plug in a jug with food, and I I did not hear the phrase "put the food down" that I can recall until I came to a a, a meeting on this phone line. Uh, year and a half ago, or two years, almost two years ago. Um, and that's a sad thing in many ways, and yet I'm sure that part of it was my my blinders being on, uh, perhaps not even wanting to hear that phrase, if it was in fact said, put the food down, mm, no, give up this, give up that, I'm, all this self-generated uh, talk about giving up, give, like martyring myself. I'm going to have to give up X, Y, Z for the rest of my life. Are you kidding? Is that possible? Is that even healthy? I, you know, I start all of the rationalizations, all of the rationalizations over and over and over again. And so my after my first encounter with OA in 1984, four or five, uh, I walked into a meeting and the room uh, had about 30 women and myself. And, um, you know, I don't have a problem being in a room with whoever. It was just, I thought I walked into the wrong meeting, to be perfectly honest. Um, there there were only a few guys around in in a city of hundreds of thousands of people. It was pretty weak. 
uh, for men then. And I thought, okay, I'll try it one more time. And I, I think I won again or a couple of times, but no, this was not for me. This is not the place I need to be. I am going to rely solely on my other program. That's the same 12, 12 steps, correct? Yeah, they are. Um, and so it's the same program, right? Uh, not quite. Not quite. Um, there are actually differences. And yes, I learned a lot from the big book and the 12 steps in the other program. I have lots of years under my belt. Most most of those have been healthy and whole with uh, intermittent periods of uh, spiritual and mental relapse, if you will. Um, but life definitely changed, and I was better. I was different after I put it down. <laughs> well, the mind's a terrible thing to use sometimes. <laughs> My mind is. And uh, that simple message of, you know, you put it down and Things will change. You will change. You will be different. I I just didn't make the rollover there. Well, okay. As soon as I walked into OA, probably should have been asking myself the question: What does it mean to put the food, down, put the plug in the jug? What does that mean? Well, I never made that transition. And so, needless to say, I was chasing chasing rabbits, if you will. I was. Um, <laughs> sticking my head down in the holes looking for uh, some kind of a solution, some kind of an answer, some kind of a way out of my dilemma uh, other than that which I held in my hand. I had it. I had the full recovery program in my hand. I had all of the books, all of the extra books, all the non-conference approved books. You name it. I had the books. And... um, I'm here to tell you that the, the, the books are wonderful things, but they aren't the solution. Uh, they re, uh, they're not going to keep me abstinent today. The books will not. They are simply tools along with all of the other tools. Um, I was in the self-diagnosis uh, business. And um, <laughs> when I say that today, I realize how foolish it sounds. Uh, self diagnosis. Um, I have no instrument to make that kind of diagnosis myself. Uh, I've never had that kind of an instrument to do that. Um, Others may try to diagnose me, but there's a problem there as well. I I once convinced a trained (laughs) psychologist that I was not an addict um, until they started to get the truth from someone else <laughs> close to me. Uh, it was kind of like, uh, well, what did he tell you? And then the truth becomes clear. They forgot that they didn't realize fully or had never encountered the fact that uh, I could lie so well and um, fool myself, fool you. Uh, and that was my way to control um, everything around me. i I would have told you any number of times that I had not, no issue with control. I was not a control freak. I didn't, I didn't want to run shows. At least that's what it appeared on the outside. I was pretty uh, sit back and let somebody else do it 
kind of guy. And uh, so I was just going to listen. I'm fine. I don't need to control anything. And all I was doing was controlling everything or trying to and doing a very poor job of it. Uh, I've come to understand that the 12-step recovery program is not a self-help program. Uh, I'm convinced that all of the uh, <laughs> the um, program literature that is on the self-help shelf in the bookstores has been misfiled. Um, this is not a self-help program. This is a God-help <laughs> program. This is others helping me to stay abstinent one day at a time and being a part of the fellowship that keeps me supported in this. Um, so I would have periods of abstinence, believe it or not, for 30-some years. Um, I would go for a time. I would be uncomfortable in my clothes, so I'd go on a – well, I wouldn't have called it a diet because I didn't do diets. I didn't buy books on diets. I didn't try to follow some person's diet plan or some uh, company's diet plan. I, uh, but I would try to lose weight, and often I was successful, and um, that just kept me going, kept me right on going, because I get down to or start to approach a weight that was uh, comfortable, and, um, and then that was just license uh, to go back. And, and get started again because now I had all that knowledge. You know, it says it in the big book so often in Jim and Fred's stories where they talk about, well, the knowledge I had, I'll be fine. I can handle this. Um, I found out otherwise as they did. Um, but I would have brief periods of abstinence, sometimes a little longer, but I would go back uh, because I had never fully addressed the issue. I would spend time in uh, OA meetings, and uh, I would identify myself as a sugar-eating compulsive overeater, and that sugar was a part of my diet, so to speak, was a part of my food plan. And I I was in bliss with that. <laughs> as you can well imagine, that, w- that was a nice place to be, because nobody, nobody, at least in the meetings I went to, um, had the nerve <laughs> to tell me, uh, Ken, <laughs> do you really think that's true for you? Uh, or Do you really think you might want to take a look at what sugar does to you? Nobody ever did that for me. They might say that they didn't eat sugar or flour or anything else. They may say that for themselves, but no one ever kind of got into my face a real friend who who got face-to-face with me and said, Ken, (laughs) think about this. You need to spend time with this because, frankly, it sounds like a bunch of horse hockey. (laughs) And and I needed somebody like that, and I didn't have that person. Uh, And I certainly didn't seek that person out. Uh, I was not one to go run to be told uh, what I needed to do. uh, but I wasn't in control. <laughs> Remember that I did. I was not in control. Yes, I was. I was trying to control everything, and it was hard to juggle everything and hard to remember the lies. And somehow God saw fit to keep 
my wife and I together through our addictions and our recovery, which has been hard at times, incredibly difficult at times, and not the least of which uh, as a result of, of my overeating uh, more than anything, because in my overeating, in my compulsive disease, I would lie. I would not be honest with her. I could not be honest with her. I was so full of shame about who I was, what I was, what I looked like, and how I behaved that I couldn't tell the truth. I could not tell the truth to anyone, even even the most important person in my life. And um, so I, I kind of lived, even though I might not have been eating compulsively, I lived in some sort of a state of relapse, uh, whether it was emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, some form of it. And uh, <clears throat> it wasn't until... About a year and a half ago, um, it's actually the end of 2019, I guess it was. Um, I just, one more time, it was shown to me that, one, I was a liar. Two, I was eating food that was something I believed I had to put down, even though I didn't know that term yet. Uh, something that was really what you would call the red light, hot flame kind of food. I was eating that, and um, and then I was devastated. When, but I was devastated in the past a number of times. I had a couple of horrendous relapses where, when it became clear that I was in relapse, made clear to me that I was in relapse, I just fell apart. I I cried, I bawled, I I was <laughs> remorseful, I was uh, ashamed, uh, convicted, and, and I jumped back in the program and do all the things that it was recommended to me to do for a time. And then I would start to coast and never fully got the, the, the nature of my illness. And I would go back and I would eat again, and I'd hide and lie, steal, cheat, whatever I had to do to get the food and cover it up and and keep track of all of the wrappers and, and uh, all of the – I'm always looking over my shoulder uh, that, that I was going to get caught. So I knew I wasn't doing the right thing, but that was irrelevant. I just didn't want to get caught. So I I was living in relapse for a long, long, long time, and um, um, and I was par I big you know as I as I did with the other substance I I was paranoid about it, I was paranoid about getting caught. I was afraid to be caught, and even to the point of <laughs> this this sounds absolutely insane, and it is because that's a part of the illness when I'm in it. I used to wipe my fingerprints off of candy wrappers before I threw them away so that if those wrappers were pulled out of the garbage for some reason and the police took them to the crime lab, they would track me down. And, and uh, it wasn't so much that I would pay the fine for littering. It's that I would be found out. Now, that, that's total insanity as far as I'm concerned. And that's what it took me to. That that's what I went to in in terms of this really twisted, screwed up thinking, 
relapsed thinking in my brain. Um, but the good news is that uh, there is a solution, and uh, it's right there on page 25. Go look it up. Ah, there is a solution, and I came by chance. Someone mentioned a vision for you, and I came in early 2020, and uh, you were somewhere towards the end of the 164 pages. Um, you were to start up again in the end of June, I think it was in 2020 we started again. But I was somewhere towards the end, and I thought, oh, this meeting is as boring as it can be. <laughs> For goodness sakes, they they read a, par- a paragraph and spend an hour talking about it. And I thought to myself, no, 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 this, this is... This is not going to do it. This is way too slow. Um, I, I just can't stay hooked with that. So I went and tried all kinds of other phone meetings. We're, we, we're into COVID. We're locked down. Um, so I'm into phone meetings, and I'm trying all these different meetings. And uh, one day I uh, came back on Vision, and I heard somebody speak. And uh, I said, this is where I need to be. This is what I need to do. This is what I have to do to stop deciding how I'm to stay abstinent and uh, to let others teach me along the way. I started with uh, the, the, <laughs> the title page with you all back in June or July, whenever that was. And I have uh, now completed um, somewhere around 265 straight Monday through Friday, 7 o'clock or 10 o'clock meetings in a row. I haven't missed one for 365 weekdays. And somehow, and I know it was God at this point, God said, Ken, you've had enough. Stop it. (laughs) You're coming with me. We're going to this meeting, and you are going to learn things that you've not heard before, and you're going to hear them so that you can be well, because that's what I've always wanted for you, Ken. I've always wanted you to be well. I've always wanted you to be healthy. I've always wanted you to be true to me and to others. That's what God has always wanted for me. I believe that without any doubt whatsoever today, and it's true. And he has shown me a way to do that. And it's uh, perhaps it's been through relapses, but I believe it has been through the message carried uh, the, uh, with depth and weight and no frothy appeal. I mean, I like those meetings that let me still eat sugar and not say anything to me. And that's frothy appeal. That's someone that, that that's not confronting me where I needed to be confronted until I started hearing things on this line, and I said, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. <laughs> Am I uh, way off base here? Um, I once said to a uh, a pastor, we were out of town on vacation, things were falling apart, things were a mess. Uh, we didn't know what to do, so we went, we just walked into a church and asked if we could talk to the pastor. And we're sitting there talking for a little bit, and... Uh, this, that, and the other thing, we're crying and all kinds of stuff, or at least my wife was. And uh, this guy turned and looked at me and said, Ken, what are you afraid of? And that's all he asked me. 
what are you afraid of? And I said, this is, this is wonderful. Great response. I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> I laughed today, but wow. He cut right to the heart of it. He knew I was a scared little kid trying to control life so that I didn't feel afraid <laughs> any more than I already did. He knew. He knew what was going on with me. And uh, I'm not afraid today to be real. I'm not afraid to to share with my partner in life just exactly what's going on with me, which is a, an incredible breakthrough. It really is. I, I just can't really fully explain how important that is. Um, what I'm aware of uh, in terms of relapse, and um, when I say it's not required, um, there's nothing in the big book that says you have to go back out. You have to go try this again and again and again until you get it. There's, the, there's nothing there that says keep going out there and beat yourself up. Because it's almost like saying go out there and kill yourself. <laughs> because that's what I would have been doing if I just kept going. You know, going and going and going. I was gonna, this was going to kill me. If it didn't kill me psychologically, it would kill me spiritually. It would kill me physically, ultimately. I do have health concerns in my family history that I'm doing everything in my power to avoid. Um, and today, I'm, I'm doing a pretty <laughs> – we are doing a pretty good job of that. Um, but I think back uh, when I uh, think about relapse a lot or um, over the years um, – I look at Jim and Fred's story, and they tell me a significant uh, amount of information regarding the problem for me. Um, both of them, both of them, Fred and Jim, had alcohol out of their systems. They were sober. The power to choose with a clean mind and body had been restored in them that they no longer had the allergy active because the booze was out of them. It didn't hold sway in their lives. The booze did not run the life at the moment. But Jim, <clears throat> then wherever the insanity shows up. It's right in that line when he says, I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. He made a choice. He, had, he did not have alcohol in his system at that point. And he made a choice. He had a choice. And he made a choice. And then he says, I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart. Well, his mind at that point was still functioning sanely to some degree because the statement he made was true. He wasn't being any too smart and he knew it. He still had a choice. But, this is the old yes but. Yes but. Yes but does not mean yes but. It means no and. No, I'm... <laughs> No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to follow that teaching, and this is what I'm going to do. It's not, yes, I'm 
this is not a really good idea, but it's no. I'm I don't care if it's a bad idea. I'm <laughs> I'm doing it and this is what I'm gonna do. So he did the butt <laughs> and um and then came that strange twist of the mind, the mental twist that is that allowed him to make a choice that was utterly ridiculous. It was an utterly ridiculous rationalization. And it was done. From then on, the choice was gone. The allergy's going back. He's He's got the booze in him. He took it. He took another. He took another, et cetera, et cetera. And he's back in it. The disease has now physically taken over and is now running this twisted mind again. And he no longer has the choice when he's in it. And it's in his body. I didn't learn that kind of information in in AA, growing up in AA. I learned that from hearing it on this line. And I learned it from really reading the doctor's opinion. You've got to remember that the doctor's opinion was the first chapter at one time. It got moved to be a preface. And frankly, it got lost. In fact, in my other program experience over the years, it's been you go to the meeting, the steps are on the wall, you read the fifth chapter, the beginning of the fifth chapter, and we've jumped four chapters, actually five, counting the doctor's opinion, to the solution, to the 12 steps. Or, or yes, to the 12 steps. So... It's coming in the door and being right in the middle of the steps. I've missed five chapters of information about why I need these steps. And and so I can't stress it enough because it was stressed here so much to me. You've got to start back there. Uh, Can you need to know in the deepest part of your being that you are powerless over food that you have an allergy of the body and a compulsion of the mind that's working against you, and it's working against you constantly. Look at Fred. Fred chose to quit drinking solely under his own power. His body and his mind cleaned out. He was he was in good shape, lots of knowledge. Little did he know the current dormant allergy. He didn't pay any attention to the current dormant allergy when he crossed that threshold that it crossed with him and with a clear mind he had thought choice and then the strange mental twist of the mind that rationalized a few cocktails with dinners where did that come from oh that's all nothing more that's all I'm going to have and at that moment as he's making that decision about a couple of cocktails, he's at the turning point. He chose the drink and proceeded to immediately lose the choice. That's relapse. That's what relapse is to me. It's, it's losing the choice. Um, and, and we can get into all kinds of 
discussions and debates about slips and relapse and all that kind of stuff. If I have chosen, made a choice to eat something that is not a part of my health and that in some way that's mysterious to me internally affects me physically as an allergy and twists my mind to the point of allowing me to make foolish decisions, that I'm in a relapse state. I have, I have moved out of um, health and wholeness. I have moved away from um, what works, what really works. And, and the only way I'm going to move past that is once again surrendering does that mean I go back to step one and forget everything? No, 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 no. I still have learned <laughs> along the way, and it's, this would then be another hard lesson. But it's nonetheless a relapse, I, and it comes so much before, well prior to the actual moment. I mean, I know Jim and, and Fred's story seemed to suggest that, that it happened in the moment, you know, there I was, life's great, everything's perfect. Oh, I think I'll have a couple of cocktails. That didn't come in the moment. Something was going on in, in behind that was unfinished business in recovery that that had not been fully addressed. And so that there was a place for that thought to enter to which he had no uh, defense. And and so that, that relapse starts early, and it, that was the case for me. It was it was just this hmm, moving in that direction. Oh, gee, are we taking this too seriously? Oh, uh, maybe just one, um, one what? Uh, there was never one, and um, so the, the relapse is a sneaky thing. It's it's out there waiting. It 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 wants me to lose the sense, the the ability to choose. And the only way it can do that is to get into my body. And the only way it can get into my body is convince me that I'm, well, maybe being smarter <laughs> than Fred and maybe being smarter than Jim and all the others who relapsed for real. Maybe I'm smarter. Um, I, I'm convinced that um, I have regained the power of choice. Um, by working the steps and practicing the principles in all my affairs, but fundamentally, there's nothing more important to me today in keeping me abstinent than my relationship to the God of my understanding, and that's what the book is about. I said that way, way back on page 45, purpose of the book, and interestingly, it says the purpose of the book was to find this power greater than myself to solve my problem. Problem. Singular. This book was designed to deal with my addiction. I don't need to think beyond that. It doesn't say problems because I'm going to have problems the rest of my life. And there are going to be ways to solve those problems. But if I do not solve this problem, <laughs> singular, uh, 
if if God does not intervene in my life in a way that that I grasp and allow in a sense, then I'm lost. The other problems are just they're irrelevant. They're just going to be there automatically. They're there anyway, but they're going to become more real to me. I must put the food down and I must have a higher power that gives me the strength to do that day to day, especially on the days that my silly little brain wants to say, oh, you could... You could try that. The the, the last so-called relapse that I had, and it, I call it a relapse, and I called it that, is that I put. I said one day, I said, "Oh, man, I could. Wouldn't wouldn't my black coffee taste a little better if I put one of these vanilla creamers in there?" I did. I put it in there. It didn't taste any better. It didn't do anything for me, but it it was that twist of the mind that said, well, you can put that in there. It's all right. It's no problem. It's always been a problem when my mind goes that direction. This time, <laughs> I got the help I needed. I told on myself. I actually told on myself. I told somebody else. When I was going to regular... OA meetings for years and years and years and years and eating like a crazy fool and saying all the perfectly right things because I knew everything there was to know in the big book, ha-ha. I didn't know. And I didn't know I didn't know. Um, I didn't know that I really didn't have the information I needed to be even talking in that meeting. And I would go to those meetings full of food and uh, introduce myself as a compulsive, recovering compulsive overeater. And I could not tell you and say to you face to face that I was in the food. Well, heaven forbid, if I'd been coming around to that meeting for a year, heaven forbid you should think I didn't have the program. Or even if I had food thoughts, I couldn't tell you because I thought that was a slip (laughs) or I was in relapse if I was thinking about food. Well, duh, Kim. (laughs) It took a long time to come around to understand that that's a fact of life and a part of it. Um, So membership in in this program – the only requirement, and it does not say, is relapse. <laughs> the only requirement for membership in this uh, in this fellowship is, and is was originally written from my understanding, but changed, an honest desire to stop eating compulsively. That's all that is required. So, relapses <clears throat> are not required. They make for interesting stories. And they and they, you know, I can make a really long story out of mine if I wanted to, but that's not what is required of me. I must have that desire. And here's the really strange twist and paradox of the whole program: is that desire comes from outside of me. 
I understand my desire to stop eating compulsively to be a gift. That is not something I went out to buy. Oh, I'm going to go down to the store today and I'm going to buy a willingness to quit eating compulsively. No, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to say to a power greater than myself, and there are many, but in this case, I'm going to say to the power greater than myself who has my best interest in mind every single moment of every single day, I'm going to say, I'm yours. Put me to what you will. (laughs) Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. I don't care. Whatever. I'm yours. And when I come to that place and be able to say that with conviction, I have willingness and I will um, continue to recover. Um, I'm not sure what else I want to share other than that I've come to understand that abstinence is not the goal. Abstinence is not a food plan, frankly. It's a tool. Food plan's a tool. Actually, abstinence is more of a plan of action to me. Put the food down. <laughs> Put the food down. Put the food down. Keep it down. Um, and back to surrendering to this power greater than myself. You know, the big book says that step one is the only one we can do or need to do 100%. 100%? Oh, there you go, Lord. <laughs> there you go, folks. You're talking about that P word again, that perfection word. And um, 100%? Well... Spend a little time in the book and uh, find out what I found out, that there's a sense of idealism throughout this book. I don't know how many times the uh, superlatives are used. Um, just, just think about even the steps and the way they're written. Powerless means you don't have any. Complete. Complete powerlessness. Um, sanity is wholeness, full wholeness. That's sanity, well-being, exact nature. Exact doesn't leave room for wiggling around. What is the exact nature? Entirely ready to remove all. Made a list of all persons and made amends to them all. Pray only. That means singular to me, pre-exacting, uh, all of our affairs, all, nothing, <laughs> 100%. Um, there are ideals throughout this book, high ideals, and that's the goal, is to live into those ideals, which I believe have been set by God a long, long time ago, that have been extracted from ancient, ancient wisdom and put into a book form that one day saved my life and continues to do so on a regular basis, a simple message of hope and um, grace. Uh, There's no question that this is all a grace. I believe it was uh, Gandhi that may have said that the 
the 12 steps are the greatest export the United States has ever produced. Um, well, the United States didn't produce it. They may have distributed it, but it was from God. I can guarantee you that. You just go back to some old ancient literature and you'll see it all over the place. And um, I'm, I'm, I feel gifted today to call myself a part of a fellowship that, that believes all of us who have this addiction, this disease, can live lives uh, that are full and rich and tasty, <laughs> if you will, that are savory, that are uh, refreshing and life-giving. Uh, through the practice of these 12 steps and under the guidance and under the power of the God of our understanding. So thanks for letting me share. I, I hope I haven't spoken too long. Thank you, Leah. This has been a gift to me. And a gift to all of us. Thank you, Ken, so very much for this beautiful, inspiring, and authentic, faith-filled presentation this morning truly touched my heart, as I'm sure it touched many. Share ID for this morning is 18,078. That's 18078. Ken's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. We will transition now to question and answers. You can pose a question, questions only, to Ken by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your first name, including the first letter of your last name. Christina J. Miriam J. Loretta H. Rick J. Okay. Thus far, I have Christina J. Miriam, I didn't get your first letter of your last name. Loretta H. Rick J. Anyone else? Chris G. Chris G. Sarah E. And Sarah, is it? Yes. Okay, and Sarah E. Let's stop there. That's a good list. Beginning with Christina J., please. Good morning, Leah. Again, good morning, Ken. Um, thank you for your service, both of you. Ken, that was incredible. God used you mightily today, my friend. Amazing. Uh, boiling down the program into some precious sauce that we can all use. Um, my question is, life on life terms, how do you walk your day, your days with God? What does that look like for you? And um, how did you cultivate that one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with higher power? Thank you. Thank you, Christina. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, and if I knew absolutely how, I'd write a book. But uh, life on life's terms, you know, I've heard that spoken uh, for a long time, <clears throat> living life on life's terms. And, you know, often uh, life didn't do me well, so to speak, or I didn't interpret life very well. And life's terms were hard and uh, more than I could handle often, and I would turn to substances to change that. Um, today, 
uh, and it's just, I don't want to split hairs or anything else, but I like to live life on God's terms. And I think that's what uh, a lot of this program, or at least the what the nature of the book is uh, about, in that it says it's to, to hook me up with a power greater than myself that will solve my problems. So that if that's the case, and I call that power God, or higher power, whatever I call it, I'm then living on God's terms in this life of woe, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, with all the challenges that come, uh, the, the two cancers I've overcome, the, the, all of the distressing things in my life have come in recovery. And I have been able to live through them, but only by the grace of God um, have I been able to to uh, address those issues in my life. So uh, my my daily process involves prayer and meditation. Uh, my wife and I do a meditation together every day from online and um, pray regularly. Um, we are worshipers and we do that and all those other things we need to do. But for me, it's to be constantly reminded that I'm not in charge, <laughs> that I'm not running this show. I do read the pages 86, 87 every morning that tell me I'm not running the show. Um, uh, those are ways I get started with that. And I have some memory verses, and some of them are in the big book. Some of them are from a, uh, another big book. <laughs> we all know what that is. Uh, but I won't say it. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. So, um, uh, But that's pretty much what it is. got to stay connected, and um, I, I do read religious literature and that sort of thing as well. hope that helps. Thank you, Christina J., for your question. Miriam, your turn, star one to unmute. Good morning. This is Miriam J. from Massachusetts. Thank you both for your service. Um, Ken, uh, I really needed to hear what you shared today. I am one of those people uh, who came from a different program, and um, and. I can get abstinent and I can even stay abstinent for a while and then life happens and it's gone. <laughs> so my, my question, uh, and life happens all the time. I enjoyed uh, or I needed to hear your answer to the last question as well. So my question is, if the willingness comes from outside, from a power greater than myself, how do I get it? <laughs> how do I get it? Um, I, I grasped for it for a long, long time. I thought I could get it, <laughs> um, in recovery. I thought I could get it, even though I would say to myself over and over and over again, when I was in the midst of trouble, I can't get it. I'm just not going to get this. I'm one of those with the warped mind, uh, constitutionally incapable, so I try that much harder to try to get it. I try to get it and I try to get it and continuously fail. It's that grasping and grasping and grasping. And ultimately, the only way I, I came to any sense of willingness to follow the, uh, the program of recovery was to unleash my hand, just open it up 
literally, and I'm doing it right now as I sit here because my body is responding to what I'm saying. You know, the grasping is so tense and hard and forced and, and takes a lot of energy as I, um, you know, contract the muscles in my hand and arm. And then I open my hand, just freely let it go, and everything relaxes. And it just, my hand falls to my lap. My hand is open. Now, now I'm in a position to get what I've been after because I'm, I've, I've opened myself to it. I have surrendered. I have surrendered to the fact that I can't get it. That's the truth. I can't get it. I stood in the middle of uh, Cape Lookout one day, and we had walked the whole, all the way out to the, the end. Well, the tide came in. We were thinking we could walk back on the inside, in the cove part, and get to the boat to take us back to the mainland. But the tide came in. There was no way in the world to cross that part. We had to walk all the way back around. And I said to myself, we're not going to get there in time. We're just not going to get there. And I'm standing there in the middle of a sand dune, and I just, I had a conch shell in my hand, and I threw it to the ground, and I said, I just can't get it. And it was at that moment, and I didn't fully embrace this, but it was at that moment that God was doing a charades with me. And he had his finger on, one finger on his nose and the other finger pointing right at me. Bingo. Can you, you can't get it. I got it. And I want to give it to you. That's the way I've received willingness. Hope that helps. Thank you, Miriam J. Loretta H., your turn to pose a question. Ken, this is Loretta H., and Leia, thank you, and everybody on the line. Who Hi, Loretta. <laughs> everybody. I've saved my life every single day. And amazing grace, that's what I hear in your story. My, The interesting thing is, I'm also duly addicted, but the interesting thing is in the clamors in the mind, you know, it, it starts in my mind. You talked about no but and what. And I want to know what, not the pause, but after that pause, where do you go from there? Like, and, and maybe it's redundant in what you said, but... That's where I, I go to the pause, but then I forget to work the pause <laughs> with our reality, with my tolerating my reality. So I want to know how you work the pause with that I have. Oh, uh, just clarify for me what you mean, work the part. What, what? Work the pause, the pause. Fran, you spiritual energy. What do you do after, right after that? Hmm. After the pause, um, uh-huh. yeah, the pause, <laughs> uh, the pause, uh, the infamous pause. Um, actually, uh, for most of my adult life, there has been no pause in my life. I would, uh, here's a problem, fix it. Do what you can to fix it right now. Or I'll get to it later but I'll fix it. I'll take care of it. I felt compelled to fix it because nobody else was, by golly. Um, That's no pause. 
that that's no touch with reality, frankly. Um, what I've come to know and learn is that my first instinctive thought, it could be right, but often is not the best way to go. And I need to listen to somebody else. And I need to bounce it off somebody else and say, well, what do you think of this? Well, and then I get I get different kinds of feedback. But ultimately, I had to go to God and say, God, <laughs> you know, if you don't put this plug in my jug, which is the <laughs> my mouth, <laughs> and that's kind of putting the plug in the jug in a way, <laughs> um, is... Is, is just stopping my first response and, and allowing uh, something else to filter through that fog of my uh, the, the brain that still carries around some of those uh, strange <laughs> twists from time to time and still wants to fix things, but to be able to just set the, the have and it's my higher power that gives me the pause that that kind of puts helps me to bite my finger so that I don't say what's right there on the tip of my tongue because that's usually trouble and it's usually not well thought through and and he did give me a brain to use book tells me that and um, so there's nothing uh, evil (laughs) about my brain it's just that it doesn't work the best all the time and that's because I'm a human thank goodness (laughs) so like thanks Thanks, Loretta. Yes, thank you, Loretta H. Rick J., your turn. Hey, good morning, Ken, and thank you, Leah. Um, what are you yeah, saying, my wow. brother? <laughs> hey, neighbor. Uh, so we live a couple of miles from each other. It's so awesome to hear you. And, uh, you know, and your story is so uh, so much parallel to my own with, uh, you know, a so-called recovery in another uh, program with with no relapse there, but then an inability to uh, to find permanent abstinence, you know. And one thing that was really striking me too is uh, I love that you uh, you brought in Jim and Fred today. Uh, they're my heroes. I love Jim and Fred, and, and I love Jim you know, with the whiskey and the milk. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's like well, same the thing to do at the time, you know. And that's my disease. And I just, you know, and Loretta was talking about the pause, and that's kind of where I was at. But you know that uh, that part where you know we're recovered but not cured you know uh, every uh, day is a day when I have to maintain my spiritual condition and I know you you know you've talked about your routine but you know as we, as we go through the day you know as we're as we're out there so to speak um, you know life on life's terms and life on God's terms and what's your first go-to thing when you know when you get a you know, a disturbance comes in. Are you able to recognize it a little bit quicker as a disturbance, and and what do you do with that? Well, I, y'all have been teaching me what to do with that, and I I say y'all, <laughs> I'm I'm a northerner uh, retired in 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 the south, so I'm learning y'all um, that y'all are teaching me uh, what the first thing to do is, and uh, one it's to recognize it first, identify that something's uh, out of whack here, and then uh, call somebody, meet with somebody, talk to somebody, text somebody, do something with it. I, I got to get it out in the open because it can hide in me in, in in a heartbeat. There are these dark crannies, I guess, in my brain that where things can go run and hide real fast unless I do something quickly to to block 
to block that process. So, um, yeah, it's it's immediately getting with someone, reaching out for help, um, um, <laughs> because that you know what what's that? That's our kind of mandate, you know, reaching out for help. When someone else <laughs> reaches out for help, I want the hand of OA to be there, and and people are there. It's amazing. Uh, I, I, I can get this feeling like, oh my goodness, I don't want to bother them again and again and again. And every time I call, everybody says, no bother, no problem, call me anytime. <laughs> Do I believe that? Yeah, I believe it now. I know it now because it's worked. And uh, um, and it's very effective and it's very freeing. It really uh, lifts a load, a lot of load for me when, uh, when, when the problems arise. Um, yeah, uh, I... In fact, there are times when that's my first response, and I and I, and I, I beat myself up sometimes when, <laughs> which is not a good thing. When I say, "Well, you could have asked God," well, yeah, I I do, uh, and um, I have lied to God often over the years. Um, you know my background, and I'm I don't need to share it online, but I've <laughs> lied to God a lot. <laughs> in the course of my recovery and my life and where it led. But uh, um, I, it turned into somebody else, getting it out loud. There's something incredibly, deeply, spiritually profound about the fifth step in that respect. Um, talking to somebody else, not just God, not just myself. That's the worst person I can talk to about my problems, but somebody else. It's, it's just profound, deep spirituality there. Thanks, Rick. God bless you, brother. Thank you, Rick J. Chris G. Star one to unmute. Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you, Ken, for uh, for sharing today, and I appreciate uh, what you had to say. Um, one of the things I heard you say is that, like, what happened, what it was like, what happened, and what's like now. That one of the things was trying to control everything, and I can certainly relate to trying to control everything. Um, and then I, my, my question is about uh, communicating exactly what's going on with me. How do you communicate exactly what's going on with me? And how do you answer that question? What are you afraid of? <laughs> yeah, wow. It's <laughs> a good question. Um, there are times I'm still not sure what I'm afraid of, but I at least today know that I'm afraid of some things because um, I can feel it. Um, I, 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 the fog is gone to the extent that I can actually experience feelings. And one of the things that helps me a lot is I would used to be mad, glad, sad, or whatever those four, five things are. Uh, and that's as far as I went. Uh, I have something that I don't use as often as I could and it's called the feeling list, and it, you know, has the main character ca categories. It'll say mad, but then it'll give a whole list, maybe 20, 30 words that are some degree of what it means to be mad, from angry, just or a little ticked off to rage, and there's everything in between, and that has helped me uh, to at least zero in a little more on. Uh, on just what it exactly is that I'm feeling. And uh, and it also helps me. The 
the process of the 10th step is the one that if I go through the, the, the columns, so to speak, I'm going to get to that third column that's going to list the fear because I've identified it in the process of, one, looking at what the issue is that's going on with me, uh, what's my part in it, and, and what am I afraid of here? What What's really going on? And then I can uh, move into um, looking into some form of solution that can come through others as I talk to them. Um, it's... Um, what was I going to say? I had uh, I had another thought that that has helped me a lot in that respect. It's 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 the identification of the fear that is that is fundamental for me, and uh, it usually takes time to dig it out, but it takes time with someone else, and and to actually just talk it through and speak it out loud. Usually they don't have to say anything, but as I talk it through, and maybe get a little. Uh, hint in a particular direction, something they hear that I can't hear in me, and uh, helped me to get a little deeper and down to what's really going on here, and then determine what can be done about it, or if anything needs to be done about it. Is it the truth? Is the fear rational? If it's not rational, then I can say that it isn't and deal with it in that sense and give it over to God and say, God, take away this irrational fear. Um, that's, the, that's the only process I know that, that, that'll get me to that place, um, uh, will allow me to get down uh, to the bottom uh, of, of what's going on. I hope that helps. Thank you, Chris G., for your question. Sarah E., your turn. Sarah E, star one to unmute. Hi, do you hear me? I do. Oh, okay. I started talking before I was unmuted. Um, I wanted to say first thank you so much, Leah and Ken. What a share. I really, it resonated so much with me. Um, and at the moment that you were talking about your most recent um um, I guess relapse or, or pre-relapse, you know, with putting the creamer in your coffee, I was doing the exact same thing. I was putting a drop of creamer in my coffee, and I have so much denial in me. Like so, some big part of my brain keeps saying, you used to have so much creamer in your coffee. This little drop is not going to do anything. And <laughs> it's like <laughs> – and I and I feel it creeping in in a lot of ways, and in some and like when you said constant, you know, um, I, maybe I'm constitutionally incapable. And I I I know the line from the book, and I and I am wonder like I really maybe I really am because I keep doing these things to myself, and I and I and I I know that it means I need to dig deeper, and I also appreciated that you you know you've been going to meetings every single day. I've been so um, resisted to this meeting. You know, I find myself only coming on Sundays because just it just seems so, I don't know, like so hard for me to listen to a paragraph. Um, so how, how did you push yourself to persevere? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's a good question. It's good awareness. Uh, um, yeah. Um, 
what is this? A friend used to talk about his mind, his mis- magical, m- mysterious, magical mind or something like that that does all <laughs> kinds of weird things uh, and can come to all kinds of strange conclusions all by itself. And there's the problem. Uh, when I'm all by myself, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a dark alley <laughs> alone. Uh, it's not a good place to be when I'm all by myself in my head. Um, it's 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 not always friendly, um, but God consciousness is is the fundamental issue for me uh, um, with respect to um, being aware of of what life is providing at the moment. And, and and turning back to that source at all time that's the only answer to my fears ultimately is is the god of my understanding that's the only solution ultimately for me is the god of my understanding um the one who is solving my problem with food the one who in fact is solving my problem with living life um and giving me ways to do that in in ways that I could never have imagined. Uh, one of them was to start going to this meeting every weekday morning. And I'm going to tell you, that uh, was a gift. Uh, that's not what I wanted to do. And my not wanting to do it is just a part of my own need to control that still goes on sometimes. My own resistance, my own sense of rebellion that I can still get into and there I have come to I have had to come to a place where in the deepest part of my being I know absolutely that God wants the very best from me every moment of every day and as long as I keep that right up in front of me no, nothing else more important than that, that God is um, caring for me every single moment of every day and is present to me to make any decision that needs to be made on my own behalf for good. Um, and, and, and my God is so good and, and uh, uh, respects me so much. I had felt so unworthy for so long that God wouldn't have anything to do with me. Today I know that God respects me so much that he lets me still make choices, knowing how many wrong <laughs> choices I have made in the past. The thing is, when when something's not right in my life and I can point to any number of circumstances outside of myself that are the so-called cause of that discomfort. The big book talks about it, or the 12 and 12 talks about it too in terms of resentments, but there's something wrong with me. Uh, it says that I have had to change the word wrong. It, it, it's not that I'm doing anything wrong necessarily, that I'm afraid or uh, or that I'm even... Um, feeling a certain way towards a certain person or um, a position. It's that something's out of whack with me. It's not that I'm doing anything wrong. It's that something's not right with me. Something's out of whack. And when something's out of whack, in the past, I've turned to something. Because I was convinced it brought 
back into whack, so to speak. Um, but it's not that I'm wrong or that I'm sinning or doing any of that kind of stuff. It's just that something's not right. And and I need to get to the understanding of what it is that isn't right and make some uh, changes in, in whatever happens. And I think God gives me all that direction. That's all I have. I hope that helps. Thanks. Thank you, Sarah E., and thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Ken, for spending time with us this morning and giving so much of yourself this morning, truly uh, thought-provoking and touching, and your vulnerability is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. The share ID for Ken's presentation, 18,078. That's one eight. Zero seven eight, and we're going to close now from page 164 it's in a chapter entitled a vision for you our book is meant to be suggestive only we realize we know only a little god will constantly disclose more to you and to us ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick the answers will come if your own house is in order but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. <laughs>